this year, there are a lot of things you could do. There are a lot of things you will do. But there is only one thing you need to do. Now, that one thing is different for each of us. And, and, but there is one thing. There is one thing based on what's going, in your, going on in your life, your relationships, your finances. There is one thing that you need to do this year. And if you could figure out that one thing, you would be in a radically different place a year from now. See, this one thing is probably something you've thought about. This one thing is probably something you might have even tried and didn't work out. Maybe this one thing is something someone has said to you. And, but this one thing, my guess, is something that you know. Now, what is your one thing? Well, it could be a habit you need to break. You tell yourself and others it's not a problem, but deep down you know it is. Maybe it could be a goal you need to accomplish. One thing that you know you need to do this year, and you've kept putting it off over and over again, but you know you need to accomplish this goal. Or maybe it's a relationship you need to focus on. Your husband, your wife, your kids... Maybe you need to develop some deeper relationships or maybe reconcile one. Whatever it is, you have one thing. And wouldn't it be great if at the end of this year, you could look back and you could say that you did your one thing. How much better could your life be? Well, I first heard a version of this sermon ten years ago from Andy Stanley. And it radically changed my direction in my life. See, that was about the time where I was first diagnosed with diabetes. And this sermon helped me lose my first 20 pounds. And I've gone back to this sermon over and over again as I work on my health. Well, in fact, this was so meaningful to me, I even created a little Lego model for it. Now, th this little Lego thing doesn't mean much to you, but it will in a few minutes. Uh, but I use this as a reminder for myself. So this message has begin, become a bit of a tradition around here at River Life. A few years back, I decided that I wanted to preach this message every new year. And so that's what we've done the last few years. And so some of you have heard this, some of you have heard this multiple times. And some of you, for you, maybe this is the very first time. And so, so I, I, I want to preach this message. And my hope is that this message is as life-changing and impactful for you as it was for me. And it's also, since we've been doing this for a few years, it's also such a joy to hear stories from you. And to hear what your one thing is. And to hear how by the end of the year, you, you focus on your one thing and things improve. And I love hearing those stories. Now just imagine, you can have a story to tell next December. So what is your one thing? Well, to help us thinking about this, I, I want to teach you about a story from the Old Testament. And it's the one that Mr. Jeremy started a little earlier. 
And it's out of the book of the prophet Nehemiah. So let me introduce you to the first couple characters in this story. So first, we have Nehemiah. So he was a prophet, and he was an Israelite slave living in exile away from his homeland. And then there's King Artaxerxes. Now, he was the king of Persia around 450 B.C., and Persia was the dominant world force at that time. So we have Nehemiah, and we have King Artaxerxes. Now, Nehemiah was working for Artaxerxes as his cupbearer. Now, I know that might sound like a glorified waiter, but it's actually a really important position. So he was, he was a high-ranking government official who had a tr- good, trusted relationship with the king. And so what's interesting about Nehemiah here, I didn't think that through. I think I need a third hand to be able to scroll my iPad here, but there we go. <laughs> so what's interesting about Nehemiah is even though he was Jewish, he had never seen his homeland. He had never seen Jerusalem. Because you see, about a hundred years prior to the story we're talking about now, the Babylonians conquered Israel. And Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple, the walls, the land, the city, everything in ruins. And now a hundred years later, here's Nehemiah working for King Artaxerxes. And, and Nehemiah, his heart was broken for his people and his land, even though he had never been there. And so, so he, he prayed a big prayer. And then he went to Artaxerxes and said, King, I, I have a burden for my homeland. Will you give me some time off to go there to help my people? Now, something you have to understand Slaves don't have vacation days. No slave asks the king for time off. But because of God's favor and Nehemiah's faithful work, King Artaxerxes said, yes. And it's amazing. The king said, I'll give you time off. Whatever you need, not only that, I'll make you the governor of the region. And whatever you need to do this, people, um, wood, materials, I'll give to you. It's all yours. And so, Nehemiah left. He left, I guess this way, he left off to Jerusalem. So he went to Jerusalem and he found the city was in ruins. It was heartbreaking. But here's what's the most interesting. Is there were still people living in the city. There was a remnant. And that remnant had never lived in the city when it was whole. And most importantly, they had never lived in a city that had a wall. And see, walls were really important in ancient times. And, but theirs was ruined. It was destroyed. And so it reminded me a lot of the Hmong who, who were born into the refugee camp. And the refugee camp was all they knew. They never knew life in the hills. Maybe that's your parents, your aunts or uncles. And having never lived in the hills, in their homelands, it shaped their life. Living in the refugee camp shaped their identity of what it meant to be Hmong. And that's what it was like for these Israelites. 
living in a rundown, ruined city shaped their identity. It shaped how they lived. Because you see, living in a city without walls meant you were vulnerable to everybody. You had no protection. You were vulnerable to the local warlords and armies. They could come in and do whatever they want. Pillage, steal your crops, burn your houses, and you had no protection. But not only that, the people, the remnant who was living there in Jerusalem, they had forgotten that they were the chosen people of God. They, they had forgotten their identity because they had been living in ruins for so long. And all of this, all of this just broke Nehemiah's heart. He spent an entire day, an entire night, walking around the town, talking to people, hearing their stories, feeling their pain, walking along the broken down city walls. And after that whole time, he came to this conclusion. If I get nothing else done, I have to rebuild these walls. I mean, so here's Nehemiah. I mean, there's a lot that needs to get done. There's the economy, leadership, infrastructure, all ruins. But there is one thing that I have to do. I have to rebuild our walls. So they began building. And that's what they did. And they were making progress. It was looking good. And that's when the trouble started. You see, an opposition started to form. Some of the leaders from, from the local towns got together. And the person who led that opposition was a man by the name of Sanballat. Now, these people got together and said, wait, if Jerusalem rebuilds its walls, we aren't going to be able to steal from them whenever we want. And if they, were, if they rebuild the city, they might build an army and come after us. And so Sanballat got together with the other leaders, and they started conspiring. And they figured out a plan. They were going to stop the building of this wall. So first, Sanballat, he sent some spies to infiltrate the people go undercover and try to discourage them from working. Didn't work. They kept going. And then, then Sambal sent an army to attack. And the workers, the builders, fought them off. They literally held a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other. And they fought off the armies. So, Sambal needed to figure out what to do, because the building was getting higher, or the, they were building the wall, and it was getting higher, and higher, and higher. They were successful. And so, Sambal came up with another plan. So, he, he was going to distract Nehemiah by setting up a meeting. Because, we all know, the best way to destroy productivity is with a meeting. So, that's what he did. And that's where we pick up the story in Nehemiah chapter 6. Now, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, 
and the rest of the enemies heard that I had built the wall and there was no breach left in it. Sambal and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. So Nehemiah's up on his wall working away. Clang, clang, clang. Brick, brick, brick. Okay? He's working away. And Sambalat's messenger comes over and says, Hey, hey, let's get together. Let's do lunch. Man, have your people call me out, people. Let's do lunch. And Nehemiah wasn't having any of that. No way. He knew right away what was going on. Now, you know, you know how he knew? Because that, that town, Hecatherium, it was in the plain of Ono. As in, come down from the wall? Oh, no. Have lunch with you? Oh, no. Stop what I'm doing? Oh, no. So he knew right away something was fishy. Now, listen to Nehemiah's response. This is incredible. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work and cannot come down. You go tell Sambalat that I'm doing a great work right here and I cannot come down. So let's read that line in orange. Let's read that line in orange together. Ready? I am doing a great work and cannot come down. Now you understand my little Lego set. So that's Nehemiah on the top of the wall. He's got a wrench because I couldn't find a hammer. And then that's, that's the Sambalat and the messenger down below. He's got a little axe and he's shouting up to him, Hey, come on down. And there's the verse. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. So there is something. There is a wall in your life. You need to climb up on that wall and say, I am doing a good work. And I cannot come down. No matter what comes your way. I am doing a good work. I am doing a great work. And I cannot come down. You need to climb up on your wall. And commit yourself. No matter how hard it is. No matter what you have to do. No matter what opposition comes your way. You need to say, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. You climb up on your wall and you stay until it's done. So, for the next few minutes, I want to poke and prod you a little bit. I want to make you a little uncomfortable. I want to help you. If, you. if you do not know right now already what your one thing is, I want to help you. I want to help you hear God's voice for what your one thing is this year. So for some of you, it's your health. You've ignored the signs. You've canceled doctor's appointments. You say you'll start tomorrow, next week, after the big deadline, but you don't. I know all of that because that was me 
some days that still is me. So maybe it's your health. Some of you need to get get some help from a doctor, a nutritionist, a, a trainer, a therapist. Your health, your physical health, your mental health is suffering right now. And you need to admit, I can't do this on your own. I can't do this on my own. So you, you go cancel Netflix. You cancel Spotify Premium. And you spend some money to get some help. Maybe that's you. Your health. This body that God gave you. This mind that God has gifted you. This is your great work. So everyone say it with me. It's going to be up on the screen. Everyone say it. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. For others of you, it's a habit you need to break. Some of you drink too much. You want to know how you can tell if you drink too much? Someone has told you you drink too much. Because they didn't tell you the first time they got worried. And they didn't tell you the second time when their worry grew and they were getting really scared for you. And they didn't tell you the third time. And by the time they said anything to you, they were scared for you. Well, if anyone has ever told you, you drink too much, you drink too much. Maybe that is your one thing this year. Maybe it's a drug addiction, prescription, or illegal drug. Maybe, maybe you're continuing a prescription long before or long past the time you needed to. Or you've been hitting up other doctors or online. Or maybe you've picked up some drugs and to just get you through the days. Maybe that's your one thing. Maybe it's porn. And it's been a part of you for so long you can't even imagine getting rid of it. So what is it for you? There are all kinds of addictive behaviors we can have. Smoking, gaming, shopping, social media, gambling, eating. All, there's all kinds of things we can become addicted to. And if this is you, if this is your one thing, Here's your first step. Tell someone. Just tell someone. Take what you've hidden in the darkness and bring it into the light. Because that's where healing happens. So maybe living free in Christ, living free of destructive behaviors is your one thing. Maybe that's for you. So let's all say it one more time. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Still others of you, maybe it's your relationships. So married couples, some of y'all just need to put down your phone when your spouse is talking to you. It could start with that. Some of you, some of you need to start nurturing that relationship. And living out those vows you said months, years, decades ago. Maybe singles. 
Maybe you're obsessed with getting married and you want that love and that partner desperately. You will do anything and even date anyone just to feel that. Others of you, y'all got to stop teasing your friends about getting married. Can we just collectively agree to stop doing that? Because it's horrible. Let's take the pressure off. Maybe dating couples. You need to stop sleeping together. That's sin, y'all. I just got to say it. Yeah, maybe that means you can't spend the night or go on vacations together. Yeah. Maybe that's your one thing. Dads, maybe it's time to start nurturing a better relationship with your daughters. To hold them and tell you you love them. Moms, maybe it's the same it's time to do that with your sons. So play with them. Read to them. Listen to them as they talk on and on. Maybe for you it's nurturing some family relationships. Or it's your pride. Your anger. Your hypocrisy. Whatever it is, whatever your one thing, that is destroying your relationships. And if you get this one thing under control, every relationship you have will be better. And your relationships will be life-giving. So if that's you, here's your time to say it. Everyone together, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Or lastly, for some of you, maybe it's your faith. You call yourself a Christian, but you're doing little to develop a vibrant, growing relationship with God. You're just going through the motions. You make it to church sometimes, or maybe you even make it to church every week. But your faith isn't alive in you. Maybe you're not spending any personal time with God. Trying to develop that, room, that friendship, that intimate, close friendship with God. And you're not doing any of that. Or maybe your life is just filled with hypocrisy. you got all kinds of sin in your life, but on Sunday, man, you come in and put on a good Christian face. So maybe your faith is sort of in shambles right now. Well, we got a new year ahead of you. And we've got a wall that you can walk on up and you climb up that wall and you say, let's all say it together one more time. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. So what is it? What's your one thing? Now, maybe you're thinking one thing, man, I got like five or six things. Where do I start? Just start with one. Just start with one. Because you'll be amazed. No matter what your five or six things are, you start with one and it will already improve the others. We as creations of God are way too holistic to think we can compartmentalize our issues. So if you're feeling overwhelmed, then you've got three, four, five, ten. Nah, nah, nah. Just focus on one. This one. 
Now, I want to close by telling you the rest of the story. It's pretty amazing. So, Sanballat continues to try to stop Nehemiah. And, and he keeps trying. And he, so the enemies, his enemies, start, they send more messengers and more armies. They start spreading lies about him. They, they try to get the king to pull him back, take him out of Judea. They try all of They even try to get one of his own people to turn against him. But none of it worked. Nehemiah refused to get off that wall. He stood his ground. And you know what? They finished the wall in 52 days. That's less than two months. They finished the wall. And an amazing thing happened. When they finished that wall, that single goal that they accomplished resulted in revival. It actually resulted in a great revival and restoration of the people of God, the Israelites. And you know what? The same pattern happens in your life. You will face opposition. You will find, there will be people who try to sabotage you. You might even try to sabotage you. And it's going to be hard and it's going to be painful and maybe embarrassing. It's going to be hard. But I promise you this. If you stay on that wall like Nehemiah, you turn to God at every point like He did. You stand your ground. And you deal with just one thing in your life. It's amazing the ripple effect that can have throughout the other parts of your life. It's amazing what happens when your relationships get healthier. All the other stuff can happen. It's amazing what happens when your faith grows and becomes stronger. Ripple effect all throughout. You focus on your health and you get healthier and stronger. Ripple effect all the way out. And that's what happened in Jerusalem. And, and if we fast forward the story, it's amazing to see what was once a city in ruins rebuilt. What was once a people who had lost their identity as God's chosen people. This people who were restored and reading God's Word and worshiping God. All traced back to one thing. So what's it going to be for you this year? What is your one thing? What is your one thing that you want to focus on so that this year, when it ends in 364 days, and it will end, you can look back and thank God because you are in a better place because of His love, grace, and faithfulness and your strength and determination. So what is your one thing this year? Join me in prayer. God, we need your help. There are a few times when we feel as powerless as we do now, thinking about something big in our life that needs our attention, that needs our prayer, and needs your help.
So God, help us. Strengthen us. Embolden us. Give us the courage to do what we have tried to do and failed. But with You, we know we can accomplish. So God, I pray for amazing stories 12 months from today where people can shout Your praises because of what You've done. Where a church can be revived. Worshiping, praying, reading Your Word. Because Your people, our people, are healthier, stronger, better connected with people, and closer to You. So You've given us a new year. Let us use it well and help us, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.